Today we're going to talk about walking as children of light. What if the gospel is true? We are gathered in a church, so at least in theory, we are the people who believe the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave, and that by simple faith in Him, God restores us to fellowship with Himself, which is another way of saying He restores us to life. And that life is eternal life. What if it's actually true? The New Testament, most of the books of the New Testament, at least the, the letters written by Paul especially, they tend to start with some elaboration of the doctrine of that gospel. The teaching that Jesus gave His own life as a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice, for us, which means we were subject to God's judgment of death because we had turned against God. I should mention that simply turning away from God is turning against God. So when Adam and Eve decided that day to go their own way because they believed a lie. They broke fellowship with God, and so they died. Now Paul begins his letters with an elaboration of what God has done about that because there was nothing any one of us could do. And honestly, if we're honest, what Paul tells us, what the whole Bible tells us, there's nothing we would do to restore fellowship with God. The Scripture says no one seeks God, not even one. All our God-seeking is really self-seeking. So what did God do? God sent the eternal Son to be made one of us, a human being fully human and fully God. The second person of the eternal Trinity became human. That should, that should blow our minds already. How's that even possible? How is it that you can call a man any man, that you can call a man the exact representation of the being of God? Maybe we'll stop here and notice that being a human being is a bigger deal than we realize. But Jesus is that man that is God. 
that in one person has two natures. God and man, and that man lived his life as a man in perfect righteousness before us and before the Father. And then, though he should not be subject to death, having lived a perfectly righteous life, he gave his life a sacrifice for sin. And because his righteous life doesn't need to die, when he dies, that death can be for us. And so he represents us before God. So the scripture says in Romans, when he died, we died. And when he rose, we rose if we are one of those who puts his or her faith in Christ. Well, now, then, we have a new opportunity, a whole new life, and we find out on top of that blessing, he has poured out his very spirit into us again. You should stop and wonder how that's possible. The Scripture says explicitly that the third person of the triune God indwells the believer. God Almighty is resident in you when you have trusted Christ. What? That should make us just fall down and... Praise him. I don't know. What can you say to that? What can you say to that? God Almighty lives in you. And the Holy Spirit also indwells the fellowship of believers in the church, the body of Christ. So that, as we read in the book of Ephesians, right this minute today, all the believers that have ever been are now or ever will be our one body in Christ. Indwelled by one Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, so that we are a thing. We are the Christian in the world today. It's not just that I'm the Christian and you're the Christian and he's the Christian and she's a Christian. No, we are one Christian. And that's really the one that counts when you read the book of Ephesians. What if all this is true? What if the fact that Paul declares of these things is in fact a fact? I think even as Christians, we operate as though these facts are imaginary. As though they're things we hope might be true. 
Either they are true or they are not true. If Jesus, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, did not rise from the dead in his human flesh body, if he did not rise from the dead, all of this is utter nonsense. It has to be, it's grounded in a fact. And the fact is, as Paul, as Paul writes to us in Ephesians that he has, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, because of God's great love with which he loved us, he has made us alive together in him. Has made, not might make, not could make, not maybe one day will make. Has made. It's a fact. What if it's true? What if we... The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, what if Jesus actually is our peace so that there is actually no more any barrier of relationship between me and you or me and anyone or between people in the group? What are we arguing about? What sort of trivial nonsense will break fellowship among us? Well, if what Ephesians 2 said is true, no trivial nonsense can break our fellowship. It is 100%. It is absolute in Christ. And so if we are sticking with some conflict, we are acting out of order in the body of Christ. What if it's true? If it's true, his love covers a multitude of sins. You can do me wrong 16 ways from Sunday, as we say. and you are still my brother or my sister. We are still in one body. We are still the family of God. One in Him. When we get to chapter 5 in the book of Ephesians, we're getting to this practical point. This point where Paul is answering the question, if the gospel is true, what will you do? If the gospel is true, how should a person act? And this is about our daily practical decision-making. How will you think? How will you decide things? How will you act? How will you think, decide, act if Jesus has redeemed you? If God has forgiven you in him, if God has not only forgiven you, but imputed to you, credited you with his righteousness so that you're not just back to zero with God, you, in the eyes of God, it's as though you lived 
in the perfect obedience that Christ demonstrated. If that's true, what will you do? How will you think? What will you decide? How will you act? In the book of Ephesians, this is described with the word walk. Walk. How will you walk? And in the book of Ephesians, there are several references to walking. First of all, we learn in chapter 2 that we are to walk in the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. (laughs) So, We've learned that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that he raised us up from our dead condition in Christ together, that he has bound us together in one new body in Christ, and so we're one. And so we also learn in chapter 2 that in God's planning was a whole set of good things for you to do. (laughs) Good things. Not burdens. Here's our problem, because we still have this flesh, this independent person hanging around in us, this sinful nature, we sometimes call it, When we hear that God has prepared good works beforehand for us to walk in them, we go, that's our attitude. Do I have to? Do I have to tell the truth, not steal, not use the Lord's name inappropriately? What are the, all, all that stuff. Do I have to? If the gospel's true, there's nothing forced or religious about any obedience. That's very important to notice. If we wear the commandments of Christ as burdens, we have missed something. We have missed our redemption in Christ. And what we're worried about is, uh, I guess I have to do right. What an insane thing to worry about. Of course you want to do right, right? Right is what you always should want. And so if you find you're wanting going in the direction opposite of right, you've forgotten something. And the thing you've forgotten is Christ. Not your obligations, Christ. God has prepared good works. We're we're called in chapter 4 to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which he called us. That's a part of our walk. And in the context of chapter 4, that verse Walking in a worthy manner means walking in unity with the other Christians. It says, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The bond of peace is the bond that Christ wrapped around us at the cross that makes us one in Him. 
The unity of the Spirit is how the indwelling Spirit produces the realization of that oneness. And so that's how we walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we walk. We are eager, that word means in a rush. We see any disruption in our unity as an emergency, something to be dealt with right away. Eager to maintain what Christ made on the cross our peace. We're told in chapter 5 to walk in love and to walk as children of light and to walk not as unwise, but as wise. And we've talked about walking in love a few weeks ago. Today, we're talking about walking in love. There's nothing forced or religious about this. It is natural, it is natural to celebrate good news and to walk in love and to walk as children of light and to walk not as unwise, but as wise. To walk in these ways is the active celebration of God's grace. It is not a religious duty. It is not a burden on you. Because Christ has fulfilled the law on your behalf, you are no longer under these commandments as the law punishable by death. That's off you. You are in Christ freed from that. So this is not a religious duty, something that must be done, something you could wear as a burden. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. John says, his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are a joyful celebration if we are properly related to them in Christ. And so when we read Walk in Love, we know there's sacrifice involved in that, and we are glad. Happy to engage in His generosity. This is a real flip in our whole mindset. We, we prefer religion to grace. But this also is the great liberation. Walk as children of light. In John, we read this, the very beginning of the book of John. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life that was in Him is the light of men. In that text, you have identified the source of light. We read about it in 1 John a minute ago. In him was light. In that reference, reference to God. In him was light. 
no darkness whatsoever. Pure light. And so we are called in this chapter that begins with the statement, be imitators of God as beloved children. He is light. The Son of God is light. We are called to walk as children of light. He says here, you were once in darkness, but now you are light. You were once darkness, now you are light. And then there's a very important phrase. In the Lord. In the Lord. When were you darkness? Well, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But he made you alive again. And making you alive, he makes you a light. He makes you a light. So, he says, walk as children of light. Now, in your bulletin, in the notes in your bulletin, I've given you three more scripture references that we're going to sort of allude to as we go through here. But take a look at those. See what they say about being children of light. See what they say about light in this world. But here in Ephesians, we read this. The fruit of the light is in goodness, righteousness, and truth. The fruit of the light is in goodness, righteousness, and truth. To be light in the Lord is to live in the real world. Here's something that is true about people who are not believers. They do not live in the real world. They live in the dark. They are not aware because they are in darkness. You were too at one time. Now you're light. To be light in the world is to live in the lit up place the visible world, the real world. The real world, in the real world, light is true. Light is truth. Light is what is. Light is what shows you what is. Light is how you know anything to be true. True goodness. True goodness, the fruit of the light is in goodness. True goodness, that is, what is or would be really beneficial to people. What's, what would be a real benefit to people? Do you know that people act from whatever impulse that moves them to do all kinds of things that the Scripture explicitly declares are bad for them because they think they're good. It seems good. It feels good. So 
Why not? Because in our operating independently from God, we operate in the dark. And so things that seem good aren't actually. What is true goodness? What really benefits? What is the source of actual human flourishing? Real good life. The light's about that. Walking as children of light is living in the real world, understanding what really is good. Where do we gain our understanding of that? Well, I suggest we refer to the Word of God who made it all and who is the source of our light. It's to live in the real world is to live in true righteousness. What is or would be real justice before God? Again, we make our best guess in the human community. As a believer, we're called to walk as children of light, and the fruit of light is in righteousness. What does the Word of God to be clear, declare to be right and wrong? Things can seem right and be wrong. And so we want to walk in the real world of real right and actual wrong. So we know the difference. How do we know the difference? Well, I suggest we refer to the Scripture, the Word of God, who made it all. Finally, the fruit of righteousness is in truth. True truth. <laughs> what is the real nature of things? What sort of universe is the natural universe? Is the natural universe in some measure supernatural? Is the material world, worlds, is the material world, does it have immaterial aspects? Is it spiritual? Is it personal? That's a big deal. You know, Jesus said, if I make these kids shut up, the rocks will scream out. And sometimes, from time to time, the Scripture does this thing we call personifying some inanimate or impersonal creature. I sometimes wonder if the whole universe isn't much more personal than we give it credit for. It certainly was created by a person's. Four persons. What is the real, true nature of things? The natural universe, the spiritual universe, the creator, his creation. In the world, in the darkness, we imagine, because we say we don't see anything else, it's dark. 
we imagine that the universe is only the material things. That even our agency, our decision-making authority and responsibility is purely an imaginary thing because it's only the consequence of electrons bouncing around inside our heads in a specific way. We imagine that the universe is cold and impersonal and unspiritual. That is not the real world. The real world is the world made by persons, for persons, a spiritual place filled with spiritual things. And perhaps even the material things are more spiritual than we notice. And as a Christian walking as a child of light, I want to live in the real world, and that's what light means. And then he goes on, he says, you should test and examine things to determine what pleases God. Oh, so the real things are the things that please God. Hebrews chapter 5 uses the expression of talking about mature Christians. They're the people who, by practice, have learned to discern between good and evil. They're walking in the light. And here, we're supposed to examine things, test things, try, work out, study to see what pleases God. Can I ask you, what human act in the history of all human acts, what is the one human act that most pleases God? The one thing that anyone has ever done that is most pleasing to God. Do you know what that act was? It was the exhibition of God's love in the work of the cross. The scripture says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured. <clears throat> the thing that please, has pleased God more than any other act in all the history of human acts is the sacrifice of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus, for us to restore us, to redeem us, to reconcile us to himself, to restore our friendship and fellowship with him. For, for that, he is most pleased. And so, when he examines us in the body of Christ, he is given pleasure because of that redemptive act of his son that is bearing its fruit in us. <laughs> Romans 12 says, in view of God's mercy, in everything, evaluating everything in the light, the light of the cross and the empty tomb, what pleases God is the gospel, the exaltation of His Son in His redeeming incarnation, life, death, resurrection, ascension, second coming, kingdom, 
Oh, and similar acts that take care of others. So when I act in imitation of that love, God is pleased. When I take care of you at my expense, God is pleased. When I say what I want to show out of my life is that acts that most pleased God, when I think about what are my options, what can I do, I can think what would be most like that. Now, obviously, that is way past anything I can do, but I can do stuff like it. I can imitate that. I can imitate God as his beloved child just as Christ imitated God as his beloved child when he died for me. So, as I evaluate my decisions, my options, my possible things to say or things to do, I want to make my decisions operating in this light, the light of the cross. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He says, at the beginning of that, he said, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine. Let his light shine in your goodness, in your righteousness, in truth, in you. Which is another way of saying, be imitators of God as beloved children. Let your light shine. That's a commandment. <clears throat> it's not a burden. Now, imagine I was having trouble seeing my notes, so I brought some light with me. There's something wrong with this light. It's not really helping at all. Let your light shine. It's not working. Something wrong with my light. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. They, might, they may see your good deeds and glorify him. They might not. But the commandment here is for you, to, for your good deeds to make God visible in this world. So Paul goes on. He says, don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of righteousness. That word participate is, is the koinonia word. Don't share. Don't have fellowship. Don't join in with the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Here's the thing. Deeds of darkness are unfruitful. They do not produce anything of benefit in the end. They are not good, righteous, and true. Here's the thing about darkness. It's alienating. It separates us. It keeps love from happening. Imagine that we were suddenly plunged into total darkness. Yesterday there was an eclipse. 
it was kind of cool how dim everything got for a minute. But suppose there was a total eclipse and we couldn't see one another. That's alienating. Light brings people together. Darkness alienates. Don't participate in the activities that alienate and certainly do not partner in them. Instead, he gives us an alternative, but help people recognize darkness for what it is by showing, in the way you live, the goodness of God's goodness. Light makes things visible. Walk as children of light. Walk so that your life helps other people see what is actually good, what is truly righteous, and what is actually true. How the world really is. How it's not just a cold, empty space in which various particles bounce off of each other, but it's a real personal place in which real persons operate. Show these things in the way you live. You, by doing so, light up the place. And people may see your good works that they come from God. They may. It's possible if you live this way, but they might not. Living in a way that pleases God lights up the world around you this is good, but it won't make everyone happy. It got Jesus killed. Could get you killed. In, in John chapter 3, in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People prefer, people are comfortable, people enjoy the cover of darkness. And so, I don't know, have you ever been sleeping in a dark room and someone came in and just turned the lights on? Said, hey! Well, when you Christians show up in the dark world, it's kind of like that. It might just irritate somebody. It might make someone really angry. They do not like whatever they're doing to be shown to be evil. So even when we're preaching the good news of the gospel, which is God's salvation for sinners, uh, you, are you calling me a sinner? I'm telling you that God saves sinner. Are you calling me a sinner? I'm telling you that there's reconciliation to eternal life that's available to you. Are you calling me a sinner? Men love darkness. Now, the Spirit works in some people, and some people, when you show up with the light, they go, oh, finally. Light divides.
This is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now, Paul concludes this section by saying, Christ will shine on you. We could read about this in 2 Corinthians, the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4. You hear I have the story of Moses when he met with God and he came down the mountain and people said, cover up, man, you're too bright. Moses was actually shining with the glory of God. And here we read that Christ will shine on you. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read that, uh, <clears throat> that we are the people who have seen, who have come to know <laughs> the light of knowing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ will light you up. Christ will become visible to you and in that way, visible from you. You become a reflection of Him. You become the bearer of His image. What's the problem with my light bulb? I know for a fact that this is a perfectly healthy light bulb. It is not missing any parts. It's not burned out. There's nothing wrong with it. What's wrong with it? It needs a source of power. And so when Jesus comes to us and says, you're the light of the world, let your light so shine before men, if you take that and you go, shine, shine, then his commandments will be burdensome to you. And you will try to be forcing out light when you are not connected to the source of its power. That is the problem with the lights, the light bulb. It's got to be plugged in. And when we try to live the good, true, righteous life without him, then we have messed it up to begin with. Because the whole point is that we're no longer doing anything without Him. And so we are called, and Christ will shine. Christ will shine. And this says Christ will shine on you. But the literal translation is that Christ will shine for you, to you, in you. And because you see him truly, you become a visible expression of him. And, oh, by the way, we do all this together. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We read in John chapter 1, in him was life. The life was the light of men. I am the light of the world, he says. And he also said, you are the light of the world. How do you light up the world? In him. In him. You, you're screwed into the socket. You have fellowship with him. Jesus said, abide in me and my words abide in you.
Do Ask whatever you want, because you will be wanting the right things. If you abide in him, you will bear much fruit. If you are connected to Christ, you become Christ in this world. We, together, become Christ in this world. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world, so in me, you are the light of the world. What made Moses glow? Like, physically. He sat face to face with God Almighty. And when he came back to the people, it showed. So I would encourage you, walk in fellowship with God. Think about how you might do that. How can you walk in close fellowship with God? Well, you could talk to him. Hebrews, we studied this. It says, draw near to God. Draw near. Spend time with God. Can you think of any ways you can spend time with God, like consciously spend time with God? Can you think of any ways you could hear from God? Oh, like there's this whole book that's all something we call the Word of God. I wonder if you could have some fellowship with God in that book. Now, here's our problem. When I say that, I'm encouraging you to have an active devotional life, to spend time with God in prayer, to spend time with God reading His Word, studying it even, really working on figuring it out, talking to other people about what on earth does this mean, and help getting some help, and figuring things out, and living in fellowship with God day by day. And when I share that with you, I am worried. I am worried that that commandment will be burdensome to you. That instead of seeing that as some sort of positive opportunity to get together with the best persons you know, and that opportunity being always available to you at all times, that you will say, do I have to have a quiet time? You know, I hate getting up early. I read the Bible and it's just like... Here's the thing. Your fellowship with God is real. Your connection to this light is real. It is a huge, it is your best opportunity. And if, you feel, if it feels like a burden, you're too religious about it, just stop. You know, I mean, there's nothing required. Don't do it if you don't want to. And if you don't want to, you might want to think about that. Why? What better possible use of your time is there? And so we are encouraged because we have been reconciled to God in Christ and to one another. We are encouraged to walk as children of this amazing light. I hope you see the grand opportunity that is there. Father, thank you.
Lord, uh, we get bogged down, we get distracted, we get, we forget. (laughs) What we have with you is a, a real active relationship, fellowship, friendship, Father. Lord, I pray that your spirit would activate our hearts, our minds, so that how we think, will be changed. What we decide will be different. So we will act in a way that shows just how good you are. So that people might see our good works and glorify you. Lord, help us to notice this is an opportunity, not a burden. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.